all you have. You are now tuned in to Parker Swayze. So just sat back and ready to play. Let me take your thoughts far, far away. Now let's hear what Darth Vader has to say. We would be honored if you would join us. What's going on, my spectacular far, far away family? How is everyone doing today? I hope all is well on your side of the galaxy. Nothing new and exciting on mine. Is everybody doing good? Drop us a line and let us know. If you got Anchor, go to Anchor and leave us a voicemail. And we will play it on the show for everyone to hear. But I think it's about that time that we get to some Star Wars. Because a lot has happened in the last week that I would like to cover right quick. And you know where we're going to start. Yes, we're going to start with The Mandalorian. So last Friday was the season finale. And they dropped some bombs on us. Now Luke is the Jedi that comes to get Grogu. But if we follow the timeline that has already been set, this means Grogu will die when Kylo Ren destroys the Jedi Temple. If you go back to Episode 8, The Last Jedi, Luke tells Rey that at the time, Ben Solo destroys the Jedi Temple and kills the apprentices. This is all except the ones that became the Knights of Ren. Grogu is 50 years old and still a toddler. The destruction of the Jedi Temple will happen in 19 years, give or take a year. So Grogu will only be 69 years old, but still very young for his species. Too young to become one of the Knights of Ren. So he has to be one of the apprentices that were killed. Unless something drastic happens that changes the timeline, that's where we're left at. The Grogu will die in about 20 years from Luke taking him. This is the path that we're on. And that was the end of it for now. Another thing I wanted to bring up is Bobo is in control of the underworld. You can't get any better than that for the ending of the series. Okay, okay, enough with the Mandalorian. Let's see what the news and rumors department has for us this week. Jeremy Bullock, the actor that played Boba Fett in the original trilogy, has passed away. Jeremy was a British actor who helped to make Boba Fett the icon he became. He was one of the most popular characters in the original Star Wars. He passed away at the age of 75. I don't know about everyone else, but 2020 should be named the year of death. First, we lost Darth Vader, then Boba Fett. Between them and all the lies COVID-19 has taken... I can't think of a better name for this year. Okay, I need to get my mind off all this death. So let's get to the book. Which the way this book is going, I doubt that that is going to happen. There's a lot of death in this book. But let's see what's going to happen next. The next morning, Bane was not with the other students on the temple roof as they sparred. Lord Cordis wanted to speak with him privately. He strode through the virtually empty halls of the academy toward the meeting, his outward appearance calm and confident. Inside, he was anything but. All night, as he lay surrounded by the silence and darkness of his room, the duel had played itself over and over in his head. Free from the emotion of the battle, he knew he'd gone too far. He'd proven his dominance over Fullhard by pinning him with the Force. He'd achieved Dune Moak. The McCurth would never dare to challenge him again. Yet, for some reason, Bane hadn't been able to stop there. He hadn't wanted to stop. At the time, he had felt no guilt over his actions, no remorse. Yet once his blood cooled, part of him couldn't help but feel he had done something wrong. Had Fohard really deserved to die? But another part of him refused to accept the guilt. He had no love for the McCurth, no feelings at all. Fohag had been nothing but an obstacle to Bane's progress, an obstacle that had been removed. He had given himself over to the dark side completely in that moment. It had been more than simple rage or bloodlust. It went deeper, to the very core of his being. He'd lost all reason and control, but it had felt right. 
Bane had spent a long and sleepless night trying to reconcile the two emotions, triumph and remorse. But when the summons came that morning, his inner conflict had been swept away by more immediate concerns. Fohag's death would have repercussions. Combat was supposed to test the apprentices, harden their metal through struggle and pain. It wasn't meant to kill. Each and every disciple at the academy, from Sirach down to the least and lowest of the students, had the ability to become a master. Each possessed an extremely rare gift in the dark side, a gift that was meant to be used against the Jedi, not against one another. In killing Fohag, Bane had thinned the ranks of potential Sith Masters. He had dealt a serious blow to the war effort. Each apprentice at the academy was valued more highly than an entire division of Sith troopers. He had destroyed an invaluable tool. For that, Bane suspected, he would be punished severely. As he marched toward the meeting that could decide his fate, he tried to push both fear and guilt from his mind. Nothing he did now could bring Fullhard back. The McCurth was gone, but Bane was still here. And he was a survivor. He had to be strong. He had to find some way to justify his actions to Lord Cordes. He was already putting together his arguments. Fulharg had been weak. Bane hadn't just killed him, he'd exposed him. Cordes and the other masters encouraged rivalry and dissension among their charges. They understood the value of challenge and competition. Those who showed promise, the individuals who elevated themselves above the others, were rewarded. They received one-on-one -on -one instruction with the masters to reach their full potential. Those who could not keep up were left behind. That was the way of the dark side. Fulhog's death was no more than a natural extension of the dark side philosophy. His death was the ultimate failure, his own failure. Why should Bane be blamed for another's weakness? His pace quickened and he clenched his teeth in angry frustration. No wonder his emotions were so conflicted. The teachings of the Academy were self-contradictory. The dark side allowed for no mercy, no forgiveness. Yet, the apprentices were expected to pull back once they had bested their opponents in the dueling ring. It was unnatural. He had reached the threshold of Cordis's door. He hesitated, briefly wavering between fear of what his punishment would be and anger at the impossible situation he and all the other apprentices were put in every day. Anger, he finally decided, would serve him best. He knocked sharply at the door, then opened it when the commander enter came from within. So this chapter starts off with Bane trying to figure out a way to explain his actions. He has been called to meet with Lord Cordis for a private meeting. He was going to have to answer for killing Fohawk. He knew he had taken things way too far. The battle was over and he had won, but he still didn't stop before killing the McCurt. Uh, because he was mad as he could be and he didn't want to stop. He wanted to kill him, but he allowed the dark side to completely take over. But he seems to be at a bit of a conflict over the situation. He doesn't know how to deal with the regret and the pride at the same time. He's prideful that he won, but he regrets that he killed him. He was trying to come up with a reason to explain his actions. He knew what he had did was wrong. Now he had to find a way to justify it or he would be punished. Cordis was kneeling in the center of the chamber, deep in meditation. 
Bane had been in this room before, but he couldn't help but marvel at the extravagance. The walls were adorned with expensive tapestries and hangings. Golden braziers and censers burning heavy incense were scattered haphazardly about to provide a dim glow in the hazy air. In one corner was a large, luxuriant bed. In another was an intricately carved table of obsidian, a small chest atop it. The lid of the chest was open, revealing the jewelry inside. Necklaces and chains of precious metals, rings of gold and platinum encrusted with ostentatious gemstones. Cordis took great pains to surround himself with material goods and the trappings of wealth, and he took greater pains to make sure others noticed his opulence. On some level, Bane suspected the Sith Lord derived pleasure and power from the covetous desire and greed his possessions inspired in others. The trinkets held little interest for Bane, however. He was more impressed with the manuscripts and tomes that lined the bookshelves along the wall, each a magnificent volume clad in leather embossed with gold leaf. Many of the volumes were thousands of years old, and he knew they contained the secrets of the ancient Sith. At last, Lord Cordes rose to his feet, standing tall and straight, so he could look down on his student with his gray, sunken eyes. Kasim told me what happened yesterday morning, he said. He tells me you are responsible for Fohark's death. The tone of his voice gave Bane no clues as to his emotional state. I am not responsible for his death, Bane answered calmly. He was angry, but he wasn't stupid. He chose his next words very carefully. He wanted to convince Lord Cordes not to enrage him. Fohark was the one who let his guard down. He left himself vulnerable in the ring. It would have shown weakness not to take advantage of it. His statement wasn't entirely factual, but it was close enough to the truth. One of the first lessons Kasim taught students was how to build a protective shield around themselves in combat to prevent an enemy from using the force against them. A force-talented opponent could yank away your lightsaber, knock you off balance, or even extinguish your lightsaber's blade without the touch of a hand or weapon. A force shield was the most basic and most necessary protection there was. It had become instinctive for all the apprentices, almost second nature. As soon as the blade was drawn, the protective veil went up. Guarding against the force powers of the enemy and obscuring your own intentions required as much concentration and energy as augmenting your physical prowess or anticipating the moves of your foe. It was that unseen part of combat, the invisible battle of wills, not the obvious interaction of bodies and blades, that more often than not decided the fate of a duel. This part starts off with Bane describing Cordis's chamber. But this is what I don't get. What would be the point of having jewelry, fine tapestries, and other looks of wealth? If you are trying to teach a bunch of students that the dark side of the force is all that they will ever need, to me this is just contradicting what they are trying to teach. But that's just my opinion. When Cordis asked Bane why he killed Fohog, Bane tells him he was not responsible for Fohog's death. It was Fohog that was at fault. Okay, when I first heard this, I was like, what? How is Bane going to blame the dead guy for being dead? Like he committed suicide or something. But then Bane said that Fohog let his guard down, allowing Bane's attack to be effective. Then Drew explains what a force shield is and its purpose. How all the Sith and the Jedi are taught this before anything else. 
That way they could protect themselves from a force attack. I always wondered about that. What kept someone from just jerking someone else's lightsaber out of their hand? Just use the force, take their saber, battle over. Kasim says Fohag did not lower his guard. Court is countered. He says you simply ripped through it. His defenses could not stand before your power. Master, are you saying I should hold back if my opponent is weak? It was a loaded question, of course. One Cordis didn't even bother to answer. It is one thing to defeat an opponent in the ring. But even once he was down, you continued to attack him. He was beaten long before you killed him. What you did was no different from striking with the blade against a fallen and unconscious foe. Something that is not permitted in the training ring. The word struck too close to home, dredging up the guilt Bane had tried to bury even as he had made his way to this meeting. Cordis was silent, waiting for Bane's reaction. Bane had to make some type of reply, but the only answer he could come up with was a question he'd wrestled with in the twilight hours before dawn. Kasim knew what was happening. He could see what I was doing. Why didn't he stop me? Why not indeed? Cordis replied smoothly. Lord Kasim wanted to see what would happen. He wanted to see how you would act in that situation. He wanted to see if you would be merciful. Or if you would be strong. And suddenly Bane realized he hadn't been called into the master's room to be punished. I, I don't understand. I thought it was forbidden to murder another apprentice. Cordis nodded. We cannot have the students attacking each other in the halls. We want your hatred to be directed against the Jedi, not one another. The words echoed the argument Bane had been having with himself only minutes earlier. But what came next was something he hadn't anticipated. Despite this, Fohark's death may turn out to be a minor loss, if it helps you to achieve your full potential. Exceptions can be made for those who are strong in the dark side. Like Sirak, Bane asked, the words out of his mouth before he even realized what he was saying. Fortunately, the question seemed to amuse Lord Cordes rather than offend him. Sirak understands the power of the dark side, he said with a smile. Passion fuels the dark side. Peace is a lie, there is only passion, Bane muttered out of habit. Through passion I gain strength. Exactly. Cordes seemed pleased. Though with himself or his student, it was hard to tell. Through strength, I gain power. Through power, I gain victory. Through victory, my chains are broken. Bane dutifully recited. Understand this. Truly understand it. And your potential is limitless. Cordis gave a dismissive wave of his hand, then settled back into his meditation mat as Bane turned to go. So Cordis tells Bane that he just broke through Four Hogs' defenses. Basically, that Bane's power was too much for the McCurt. Then Cordis tells Bane that Four Hog was beaten long before Bane killed him. Cordis compared Bane's victory to striking an unconscious foe with his saber. Bane asked if he should hold back if his little opponent is weaker. Then Bane asked why didn't Kasim stop him. Kasim saw what was happening and did nothing. 
Cornish tells Bane that Kasim wanted to see how Bane would handle the situation. I think the Sith Lords that are in the Academy are just getting bored. So he wanted to see if Bane was powerful enough in the dark side to kill someone. Then Cordis tells Bane he is not in trouble for killing Borhog. Exceptions can be made if it helps the individual see his full potential. I swear it would suck to be an apprentice at the Sith Academy. All their teachings are contradictory. Nothing is set in stone when it comes to rules. I see why Bane was having so much trouble sleeping the night before. At the door of the room though, the young man paused and turned back. What is the Sithari? He blurted out. Cordis tilted his head to the side. Where did you hear that word? His voice was brave. I I've heard some of the other students use it about Sirak. They say he could be the Sathari. Some of the old texts speak of the Sathari. Cordis answered slowly, gesturing with a ring-laden claw at the book scattered about the room. They say the Sith will one day be led by a perfect being, one who embodies the dark side and all we stand for. Sirak is this perfect being? Cordis shrugged. Sirak is the strongest student at the Academy. For now, perhaps in time he will surpass Kasim and me and all the other Sith Lords. Perhaps not. He paused. Many of the Masters do not believe in the legend of the Sithari. We love bringing you more Star Wars, and it is because of our partners that we can do this week after week. So we invite you to be one of those partners. For as little as a dollar a month, you can help us keep this going. Your support will give us the ability to create future episodes, as well as provide you with the best sounding show on your playlist. And to express our appreciation, we will give you a shout out on our mid-series show that we do in the middle of every book. You will also be automatically entered in all future giveaways. All you have to do is go to the show notes and click that listener support link. Now let's get back to the show. He continued after a moment. Lord Khan discounts it for one. It goes against the philosophy underlying the Brotherhood of Darkness. What about you, Master? Do you believe in the legend? Bane waited while Cordis considered his reply. It felt like forever. These are dangerous questions to ask, the Dark Lord finally said. But if the Sithari is more than a legend, he will not simply be born as the exemplar of all our teachings. He, or she, must be forged in the crucibles of trial and battle to attain such perfection. Some might argue such training is the purpose of this academy. But I would counter by insisting that we train our apprentices to join the ranks of the Sith Lords, so they may stand alongside Khan and the rest of the Brotherhood. Realizing that was as good an answer as he was going to get, Bane nodded and left. He had been absolved of his crime, given a pardon because of his power and potential. He should have been exultant, triumphant. But for some reason, all he could think about as he headed up to the roof to join the other students was the sticky gurgles of Fulharg's dying breaths. Right here, Bane asked Cordis what the Sathari is. Cordis asked him where he heard that name being used. Bane tells Cordis he had heard some of the others using it for Sirak. Cordis tells Bane that the Sathari was a perfect Sith, a person that embodies the dark side of the Force. Bane blurts out Sirak is his perfect being. 
Cordis tells Bane that Surik is the strongest apprentice at the Academy, and one day he might surpass all the Dark Lords, including himself. But then he tells Bane that it is possible that he is not. I don't know, Surik is a bold dude. He told Bane that he didn't even need to prove himself to no one. He seems just a little bit overconfident to me. And one thing that I have learned in life, being overconfident will get your butt whooped. But then Cordis tells Bane something that I'm having trouble processing. Cordis tells Bane that the legend of the Sothari goes against the teaching of the Academy and the Brotherhood of Darkness. But if it was written by the ancient Sith, then the Brotherhood of Darkness goes against the Sith. But it all falls down to Bane had killed another apprentice and got away with it. Now he just needs to learn how to deal with the guilt. He keeps picturing Fohawks foaming at the mouth and struggling to breathe. That night, in the privacy of his room, Bane struggled to make sense of what had happened. He sought the deeper wisdom behind the Master's words. Cordis had said that his emotions, his anger, had let him summon up the strength to defeat Fohark. He said passion fueled the dark side. Bane had felt this enough times to know it was true. But he couldn't shake the feeling that there was more to it than that. He didn't consider himself a cruel person. He didn't believe he was ruthless or sadistic. Yet how else to explain what he had done to the helpless McCurth? It had been murder, or execution, and Bane was having trouble accepting it. He had a lot of blood on his hands. He'd killed hundreds, maybe even thousands of Republic soldiers, but that had been war. And the ensign he'd killed on Apatros had been a case of self-defense. Those were all cases of kill or be killed. And he had no regrets about what he'd done, unlike yesterday. No matter how he tried, he couldn't find a way to justify what had happened in the ring. Fohag had taunted him, feeding his rage and lethal fury. Yet he couldn't even use the excuse that he'd been swept up in the heat of the moment. Not if he was being honest with himself. He'd felt his emotions raging through him as he'd drawn on the dark side. But the act itself had been cold and deliberate, calculating even. Lying in his bed, Bane couldn't help but wonder if the relationship between passion and the dark side was more complex than Cordis had made it seem. He closed his eyes, thinking back on what had happened. He took slow, deep breaths, trying to stay calm and detached so he could analyze what had gone wrong. He had been humiliated and embarrassed, and he'd responded with anger. His anger had let him summon the dark side to lash out at his enemy. He could remember a feeling of elation, of triumph, when Fohar went sprawling through the air. But there was something else, too. Even in victory, his hatred had kept growing, rising up like the flames of a fire that could be quenched only with blood. Passion fueled the dark side. But what if the dark side also fueled passion? Emotion brought power, but that power increased the intensity of those emotions, which in turn led to an increase in the power. In the right circumstances, it would create a cycle that would end only when a person reached the limits of his or her ability to command the Force, or when the target of his or her anger and hatred was destroyed. Despite the heat in his room, a cold shiver ran down Bane's spine. How was it possible to contain or control a power that fed on itself? The more he, as an apprentice, learned to draw on the Force, the more his emotions would control him. The stronger a person became, the less rational he would be. It was inevitable. No, Bane thought, he was missing something. 
He had to be. If this were true, the masters would be teaching the students techniques to avoid this situation. They would be learning to distance themselves from their own emotions, even as they used them to draw upon the dark side. But there was nothing of this in their training. So Bane's analysis had to be wrong. It had to be. Somewhat reassured, Bane let his thoughts drift into the comfort of sleep. Bane is struggling to deal with Farhag's death. He had killed a lot of Republic soldiers in the war, and he never felt bad about doing it. It was killed or be killed, that was war. But when he killed Farhag, it was out of anger. Bane knew that the anger fueled the dark side. So why was this bothering him so much? I will tell you why, Bane. Because in war and in self-defense, you did it to protect yourself. You just plain out killed the McCurth. And all right, you murdered him for no reason. But then Bane starts trying to figure out the dark side. If the dark side fed on raw emotion and the emotions fed on the dark side, then the civil masters should be teaching them ways to deal with this. But the masters were not teaching them anything of the sort. So Bane felt like he was missing something and that gave him comfort. That couldn't be me. I would be asking all sort of questions. Like why y'all ain't teaching us how to fix this situation? I ain't okay with being left in the dark and not knowing. You make me sick. His father spat. Look how much you eat. You're worse than a criffing zucker pig. Des tried to ignore him. He hunkered down in his seat at the dinner table and concentrated on the food on his plate, shoveling slow forkfuls into his mouth. Did you hear me, boy? His father snapped. You think that food in front of you is free? I gotta pay for that food, you know. I worked every day this week and I still owe more now than I did at the beginning of the blasted month. Hurst was drunk as usual. His eyes were glassy and he still reeked of the mines. He hadn't even bothered to shower before hitting the bottle he kept tucked away beneath the covers of his cot. You want me to start working double shifts to support you, boy? He shouted. Without looking up from his plate, Des muttered, I work just as many shifts as you do. What? Hurst said, his voice dropping down to a menacing whisper. What did you just say? Instead of biting his lip, Des looked up from his plate and right into his father's red, bleary eyes. I said, I work as many shifts as you do, and I'm only 18. Hurst pushed his chair away from the table and rose. Eighteen, and still too dumb to know when to keep your mouth shut. He shook his head from side to side in exaggerated disappointment. Bloody vain of my existence is what you are. Throwing his fork down on his plate, Des pushed his own chair back from the table and stood up to his full height. He was taller than his father now, and his frame was beginning to fill out with muscles earned in the tunnels. Are you going to beat me now? He snarled at his father. Going to teach me a lesson. Hurst's jaw dropped open. What the bricks is wrong with you, boy? I'm sick of this, Dan snapped. You blame all your problems on me, but you're the one who's drinking away all our credits. Maybe if you sobered up, we could get off this stinking world. You smart-mouthed mud-crutch whelp! Hurst roared, flipping the table so it crashed against the wall. He leapt across the now empty space between them and grabbed Des by his wrists in a grip as unbreakable as a pair of Durasteel binders. The young man tried to wrench free, but his father outweighed him by twenty-some kilos, almost half of which was muscle. 
Knowing it was hopeless, Des stopped struggling after a few seconds, but he wasn't going to cower and cry. Not this time. If you're going to beat me tonight, he said, remember that it might be the last time, old man. You better make it a good one. Hurst did. He lit into his son with the savage fury of a bitter, hopeless man. He broke his nose. He blackened both his eyes. He knocked out two of his teeth, split his lip, and cracked his ribs. But throughout it all, Dez never said a word. And he didn't shed a single tear. That night, as Dez lay in his bed too bruised and swollen to sleep, a single thought kept running through his mind, drowning out the loud, drunken snores of Hurst passed out in the corner. I hope you die. I hope you die. I hope you die. He'd never hated his father as much as he did at that moment. He envisioned a giant hand squeezing his father's cruel heart. I hope you die. I hope you die. I hope you die. The words rolled over and over, an endless mantra, as if he could make them come true through sheer force of will. I hope you die. I hope you die. I hope you die. The tears he'd held back during the brutal thrashing finally came, hot drops streaming down his purple, swollen face. I hope you die. I hope you die. I hope you... Bane woke with a start, his heart pounding, and his body bathed in terror sweat as he thrashed against the covers tangled around his legs. For a brief second, he thought he was back in a patros in the cramped room filled with Hurst and the overwhelming stench of booze. Then he realized where he was, and the nightmare began to fade. A horrible realization swept in to take its place. Hurst had died that night. The authorities had ruled it a natural death, a heart attack, brought on by a combination of too much alcohol, a life working the mines, and the overexertion of nearly beating his own son to death with his bare hands. They never suspected the real cause. Neither had Bane. Not until now. Trembling slightly, he rolled over, exhausted, but knowing sleep wouldn't come again this night. Fohark wasn't the first person he had murdered with the Force. He probably wouldn't be the last. Bane was smart enough to understand that. He shook his head to clear away the memory of Hurst's death. The man had deserved neither pity nor mercy. The weak would always be crushed by the strong. If Bane wanted to survive... He had to become one of the strong. That was why he was here at the Academy. That was his mission. That was the way of the dark side. But the realization did nothing to quell the queasy feeling in his stomach. And when he closed his eyes, he could still see Father's face. Now Bane is having crazy dreams about his dad. He had a dream of the memory of the last time that he saw his father alive. And it was one of the worst beatings Hurst had ever gave him. Hurst really messed him up, broke Bane's nose and some ribs. Then Bane comes to the realization that he used the force to kill his father. He remembered laying beaten and bruised in his bed, saying to himself that he wished his father would die. Bane imagined a hand squeezing his father's heart, the cruel heart that never showed him an ounce of love. And when he awoke the next morning, his father was dead. 
Bain said that the authorities said he died of natural causes, but Bain knew that it was he who killed his father. I don't know why Bain is thinking back to his father. He should have waited until his father was asleep and slit his throat. Hearst was a bad man. They blamed his failures on his son. The son that didn't even ask to be born in the first place. But Bain woke up from his horrid dream in a cold sweat, knowing he would not be going back to sleep that night. And that's where the chapter comes to an end. So you will have to tune in to chapter 12 to find out what happens next. We hope to see you there. Thank you for listening to Sway. Join us next time for more Star Wars adventures. If you would like to listen to other episodes of the show, you can find us and subscribe on your favorite podcast directory. If you enjoyed the show, we would greatly appreciate a five-star review. Once again, thank you for listening, and may the Force be with you. Sway was created by Keen Eye Shit and is a production of Pick Film Media. This show was produced by Quentin McDaniel, sound designed by Theodore Thompson, researched by Tammy Turner. I am your host, Kyle, and we will see you next time in a galaxy far, far away.